This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today, we're excited to bring back a special lecture by popular demand from season one of Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts by Dr. Tom Rook, a vascular medicine specialist at Mayo Clinic's Vascular Center, specializing in peripheral artery disease, varicose veins, and sclerotherapy. We'll be discussing varicose veins and venous insufficiency. Let's listen in. Thanks for joining us today, Tom. Glad to be here. Well, it seems like veins don't get the respect that arteries get. Um, Varicose veins uh, certainly cause problems for a fair number of individuals, so they probably deserve uh, some airtime. What are risk factors for developing varicose veins? Uh, Daryl, you know, uh, it's funny because there aren't a lot of classic risk factors for varicose veins. They're largely hereditary. So the question's sort of like asking what are the risk factors for male pattern baldness? You either got it in your genes or you don't. We have discovered a few things that seem to play a role in it. For example, taller people will be more inclined to have varicose veins and shorter. That's been uh, recently shown. But most of the factors that we think might contribute to varicose veins aren't things that we can modify. Hmm. When I was young, my mother always used to tell me, don't sit with your legs crossed because you're going to get varicose veins. Was, yeah. she, was she right? No, no, that's, that's one of those classic myths. There's not really a whole lot you can do to either cause varicose veins or prevent them from happening. They're just something that's going to occur. People should cross or not cross their legs depending on whether it feels comfortable. Okay. And how about varicose veins in other parts of the body? They're quite common in the lower extremities. Uh, do they occur in the arms or anywhere else? They do. They do. You can get them in the arms. You can get them on the chest wall. Uh, you can get them on the abdomen. They're much less common than they are on the legs. And again, the reason we think that's probably the case is because uh, we tend to be upright creatures. Uh, humans are, are bipeds. We stand. And as a result, the venous pressure, the pressure within our veins is highest in the legs. That seems to be something that... Uh, aggravates our tendency to form varicose veins. Mm -hmm. And actually, hemorrhoids are a form of varicose vein, are they not? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, It's amazing how many times, you know, people will think, well, I've never had a problem with a varicose vein, and yet uh, a hemorrhoid is exactly that. Mm -hmm. Well, how do varicose veins form? Uh, That's kind of controversial. You know, the, the conventional wisdom always used to be that this was a deterioration process, that uh, as we got older or as we were born with uh, certain inborn issues, uh, our veins would just sort of wear out and weaken and stretch and enlarge over time. What we're finding now, and some of this uh, work has come from the Olmsted County database, is that uh, it, it looks like maybe some people deliberately form varicose veins. And, and it happens not as a primary effect, but sort of a side effect of being a really good blood vessel former. It turns out that people who have varicose veins tend to live longer than other people. They have less heart attacks, less strokes, less bypass operations, because they're really good at making blood vessels 
uh, arteries, veins, lymphatic vessels when they need them. But part of the side effect of that is that they may also grow some proliferative extra vessels down there where they don't need them. That's fascinating. I've never heard that yep. before. It's new, new findings. We're going to be un unveiling this at uh, a meeting in Nashville in about a month. Mm -hmm. Okay. When we talk about varicose veins, we talk about superficial veins. Uh, do you get varicose veins in the deep veins? You can. We usually don't call them varicose veins, but actually the process is very similar. You, your deeper veins, the ones that you can't see, the ones that are under the muscle and down around the bone, these veins can enlarge and uh, uh, can become very tortuous and twisty, just like the ones under the skin, and, and can produce the same kind of effects that uh, the classic varicose veins do. Okay. And... I've heard the term chronic venous insufficiency. How does that relate to varicose veins? Are they the same thing? Are they different? Chronic venous insufficiency means that basically your veins don't work. For, for people listening that might not, you know, remember the anatomy and physiology here, the arteries bring the blood out to the various parts of the body. The veins bring it back. And if for any reason the veins don't do a good job of bringing the blood back, it gets stuck out in the periphery. We call that situation chronic venous insufficiency, where the blood just doesn't move back, doesn't return to the heart normally. Varicose veins are one of the things that can cause that. So varicose veins can be, when they're severe, a cause of chronic venous insufficiency. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about aging. How does aging, the aging process relate to the development of varicose veins? Well, all I can tell you about this is that statistically it does. We tend to get more varicose veins as we get older, and, uh, and the ones we have never seem to go away. I should point out that they're so common with aging, though, that at the age of 50, more than half the people in the United States will have varicose veins of some type. So statistically, over the age of 50, a varicose vein is actually normal, and it would be abnormal not to have varicose veins. Hmm. Okay. I've had an occasional patient, usually a male, who has one kind of localized area of varicosities, and uh, he said that's where he got hit in football. Does that happen? Does is, previous trauma cause this? Isn't that fascinating? Yes. Well, we know that when you traumatize a region of your body, as part of the healing process, you release certain growth factors, things that, that help stimulate the regrowth of muscle or skin or whatever the injured tissue was. It seems that whatever that stimulating process is, in some people it actually affects the veins as well, and they will grow additional sort of extra veins that they didn't have before. So, Daryl, I've been very aware of this same phenomenon, and I hear it all the time about this injury-related mm -hmm. varicose veins. In Rochester, it's, I, I think the biggest single cause is softball injuries. Yep. Catch yep. a line drive to the leg and mm -hmm. wind up with varicose veins. All right. I've seen varicose veins in males and females, but just my observation seems to be that it's more common in females. Is that observation correct? Yeah, absolutely. Probably... Yeah, you know, there are some sources that still claim it to be around 50-50, but I think anybody who practices will tell you that it's 75 to 80% in women and, uh, you know, the remainder in men. 
is that hormonal or is it pregnancy related yeah. or both? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's how I attribute it. And I think a lot of other people do. I, I tell a lot of women, you know, you mentioned pregnancy. I tell women that varicose veins are hereditary. You get them from your kids because it's, you know, it's doc. I had beautiful legs till baby one, baby two, baby three. Mm-hmm. Now look at them, you know. So it, it is a hormonal thing. And, and with women, there are three major times of their lives when they're likely to start making varicose veins. You make them right around puberty, you make them for sure during pregnancy, and then the perimenopausal period is is often a time when women will come back and say, yeah, I'm starting to make some new veins here. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly we know that varicose veins cause cosmetic problems, but let's talk a little bit about what medical complications can arise from varicose veins. Well, well fortunately, they're usually... Uh, cosmetic. They're not, you know, surprisingly, they're not a big problem for most people. But for some, they definitely will be uh, a medical issue. The biggest thing by far that we see is aching. People will tell you, Doc, my legs ache. And that's the word that they'll use. They won't tell you that it's burning or stabbing. They'll tell you it aches. As the, as the condition gets worse over time, you'll, you'll often progress to develop itching, uh, maybe some skin irritation, then some skin breakdown. Often there's swelling. And in the worst-case scenarios, and this is rare, but in the worst-case scenarios, you can actually develop skin ulcerations, particularly around the inner part of the ankles. Are those the most serious complications of varicose veins, ulcerations? Yeah, they are. The other significant complication is that uh, because the blood doesn't flow well in them, Remember I told you it doesn't return back to the heart through these veins well. It sits in the veins and can sometimes form clots. That's the other sort of major problem. Now, fortunately, the clots associated with varicose veins tend not to be the most lethal clots, but they can certainly uh, cause major problems, and they're they're an awful nuisance to have. They're tender and painful and cause a a lot of discomfort and skin inflammation. Mm -hmm. What are spider veins? Are they a form of varicose vein? Yeah, they are. Um, uh, spider veins are a very small form. I don't know where the name came from. It, it's, you know, it's a split between whether it looks like there's a little spider walking on your skin or whether they resemble a spider web. But either mm. one of those descriptions are, are uh, probably accurate. And yes, they're a type of varicose vein, but they really tend to be a little bit more of this proliferative type. They're not so much a vein that's gone bad as much as they often are a vein that's growing new or there were no veins before. You you see a lot of patients with vein problems. Do they tend to have spider veins only, larger varicosities, or a combination? Yeah, it's you can see any one of those three uh, and I'd say they're almost equal. So there's many people with only spider veins, many people with only large veins, and a fair number of people who've got a combination of both. Okay. I'll occasionally see a patient who says, you know, my mom had terrible varicose veins and I don't want to get them. Is there anything that person could do to prevent them? It's the bane of my existence because there really aren't. Now, what what you'll hear a lot about are the use of graduated elastic compression stockings, some kind of a support hose that you can wear and will squeeze those veins shut. And a lot of people may get on the internet or they may read or may hear from their friends and think, ooh, I'm going to wear those 
because that's going to help me prevent varicose veins. Well, they really don't. What they'll do is if you're having symptoms from your varicose veins, if you're having this aching I talked about or itching or swelling, the stockings will help that, but neither stockings nor anything else we can think of is going to actually prevent you from getting varicose veins if that's what your body wants you to do. So if you're going to get them, you're going to get them. You're going to get them. All right. I was doing some reading on varicose veins, and I came across a statement that I'd not heard before, and they're talking about the relationship of varicose veins and restless leg syndrome. Is, is there such relationship? Yeah, this is, this is fascinating, Daryl, because officially I'd have to say no. There's not really, if a patient comes into me, uh, into my office with restless legs, and I notice varicose veins, I wouldn't tell them, look, let's fix your varicose veins and that's gonna make your restless legs better. There's, there's not a relationship that's been established that would let me make a statement like that. And yet, it's been my observation and many other vein doctors' observations that people with restless legs get better when we fix their veins. So it's a little unpredictable, mm. but mm -hmm. there are many patients where you'll fix their veins and they'll come back and say, man, my restless legs are a lot better. Okay. Now, as a vein specialist, you don't have a lot of tools to evaluate patients. It's primarily, I suspect, history, physical exam. What tools do you have to uh, look at varicose veins that you will commonly use? Well, the biggest tool by far is the ultrasound, which, which we can use to not only measure how blood is flowing, but also to take actual pictures of the vein. So we can see the vein, we can see the blood flow through it, and we can use that to determine whether, whether and where veins have become varicose and what would need to be done to fix them. We also have some tools, they're, they're widely used here at Mayo, but they're not as widely used elsewhere that uh, really do a very good job of telling us how the veins work. And these are called physiological or functional tests. And we use those here quite a bit. But that's the two major things that uh, we're using. All right. Let's turn to treatment options now. Uh, I know there's some invasive procedures that can be done for varicose veins, but what non-invasive treatments are there? You mentioned compression hose. We can talk a little bit about those. Is there uh, anything else other than techniques that pe people should use with varicosities? Well, compression hose is certainly the big one. The idea is that most of the symptoms of varicose veins occur when blood pools in your legs. By using compression hose, you keep that from happening. The hose squeeze on the legs. They're tightest around the foot, less tight around the ankle less tight at the calf, and so on as you move up so that they help to squeeze that blood back. That's the primary conservative, non-invasive method that we use for treating veins. There are some drugs uh, that are used, mostly in Europe. We, we have availability to these uh, here, but it's amazing. There's many drugs that work well in Europe and don't work in the United States, and the, uh, the vein drugs tend to be that way. But... Uh, there, there are a few things. Horse chestnut would be the, the most common example of a, of a drug. And uh, these are purported to work by causing the veins to constrict and uh, kind of mimic the effect of wearing an elastic stocking over the top. Mm -hmm. 
In terms of elastic hose, is there much difference between the kind we prescribe versus the kind the patients buy over the counter? In uh, like many things, uh, it's really a difference in the strength. The uh, the stocking is the same in both cases, but they're stronger when you get a prescription for it. It's a uh, it's a uh, less distensible uh, and and can produce more compressive pressure if you have a com- if you have a uh, prescription stocking. I, I should point out though that over the counter stockings for some people can be very effective, and I probably uh, suggest. To the majority of my patients that they try over-the-counter stockings first, primarily because of price concerns. Mm-hmm. And if that makes them feel better, go for it. Okay. So let's turn to more aggressive treatment. I remember years ago when I first started my practice, I would do pre-anesthesia assessments for two of our uh, vascular surgeons who did nothing more than vein stripping day after day. I haven't seen a vein stripping done in many years now. So what else is out there? You know, those were the Lofgren brothers. That's and they, right. That's right. They that's probably right. removed most of the veins in Olmstead County uh, at, at one point. A vein stripping operation was actually a fairly uh, invasive procedure uh, when it used to be done originally. You would be in the hospital for anywhere from five to ten days, and a typical person might be off week or off work for. Uh, as much as a month while you were recovering. They were operations that mothers told their daughters never to have. And I'm glad that fortunately we've come up with a lot of ways of getting around that. We still do vein stripping, but uh, we've given it a new name. We call it ambulatory phlebectomy. And it gets that name because now we've found ways to do this as basically an outpatient procedure. If we need to strip your veins, we generally don't even put you in the hospital. Fortunately, vein stripping, even this ambulatory phlebectomy, is rarely needed these days because we have other, even better ways. The biggest way that we get rid of large varicose veins now is with a catheter that is capable of producing uh, energy that will destroy a vein. A catheter is a long, flexible tube. We can puncture it through the skin, slide it into the vein that we want to get rid of, and then either shine a laser beam through it or use uh, microwaves and actually kill the vein from within as we slide this catheter around. We also have uh, chemicals nowadays, uh, things that we can inject into the veins that are basically toxic to the vein but doesn't hurt the rest of you. So you can inject this material into a vein and destroy it. This technique is called sclerotherapy. A lot of people will have heard of it, and it's a, uh, it's a very effective way of getting rid of both large and small veins when necessary. Are there varicose veins that are too large for either of those two procedures? There are, and, uh, but it's very rare. Um, and when that happens, we do have usually fairly simple surgical alternatives to get rid of that aspect. But it's, I would, by, by rare, I'm saying 97, 98% of all varicose veins can be treated with these minimally invasive approaches that use catheters or chemical injections. Do veins you've treated tend to recur? Great question. I always, I always tell someone before we treat them, I look at their leg and I say, now, 
if I never treat your veins, do you think you're ever going to get any more veins than you have right now? And usually a person shrugs their shoulders and says, well, yeah, I guess so. I, I seem to be making them. I say, well, if we treat you, we're going to get rid of the veins that you have and they're not going to come back, but we're not going to prevent those future veins from coming that, that were destined to come. And that's sort of the Achilles heel of all vein treatments is that we can get rid of what you've got and we can make that stay gone, but I can't prevent you from getting new ones. You'll still make more. One last question. Are these treatments covered by insurance? They can be, uh, and that's an important point. It, when something is purely cosmetic, uh, it's not going to be covered. But when somebody has symptoms, uh, there's, there's a chance that it'll be covered. With certain symptoms, it's almost guaranteed. For example, if you have an ulcer in your skin, or if you're one of these people who have bled from your varicose veins, uh, you know, maybe cut them while shaving your leg or bumped them and had bleeding, it's covered in that situation. If you have recurrent blood clots, superficial phlebitis, it's called. If you have that, you can develop, uh, or you can uh, count on rein, uh, insurance reimbursement in most cases. And sometimes even just sufficient pain or uh, discomfort to keep you from being able to do your normal activities is enough to get you covered. Thank you for joining us for this best of topics for season one of Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. We hope you enjoyed this episode on varicose veins and venous insufficiency. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find us by visiting ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe and follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.